Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, David. Yes. You have once again outdone yourself, found a great <laughs> guest for us. And uh, was it, is it a personal favor to me that you got us another, uh, somebody to talk about sex addiction? Well, the, the Christmas spirit came upon me, Nate, and I decided, <laughs> <laughs> and decided that you deserved a, uh, another guest that could speak uh, more into some reality of you. But I'll, in all seriousness, many, many of our guests struggle in uh, so many ways, but particularly in the area of compulsive sexual behaviors. And we do want to be able to address, uh, you know, the, the wide spectrum of, um, of uh, areas that people struggle with here on our podcast. And so we're thrilled today to have Jill Vermeer from the Phoenix area. Um, and she is joining us uh, today and, um, and she has a great background. She's a CSAT. Um, That's and a certified element. sex addiction therapist, right? And, and there you go, Nate. Thank you for that, <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's part of the gift I'm, yeah. I'm giving you. You need to be able to say. And uh, she's an LMFT, licensed marriage family therapist, as well. But she's also um, had some backstory of her own that uh, brought her into this field that we're going to get into. And and also she's had a, a an interesting little stint in the world of reality television with. Dr. Drew and Celebrity Sex Rehab on VH1. If any of our viewers caught that um, uh, season, uh, Jill was the therapist with Dr. Drew and uh, got to join him on some of these uh, interesting cases. So, Well, welcome, Jill Vermeer. Hello. Thank uh, you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so great to have you on. Uh, yeah, one of the things we do like to do is ask our guests, you know, we like to know our guests personally little bit of the backstory. So what, what can you tell us uh, about the, the, uh, the long and winding road that, that uh, landed you in this career and on this track doing this work? Um, I grew up with a father who I love very much <laughs> and he was a great guy and really smart and really talented and also suffered from multiple addictions. So um, he first started telling us he was an alcoholic and then it was also drug addiction and then gambling. Um, he was also a sex addict, but back in the eighties, that wasn't right. really a thing. They weren't yeah. really treating that back then. So, um, he went to rehab a lot, like, like probably nine times. Really? And we would visit him <clears throat> starting when I was about eight years old. And when we would go to the rehabs, you know, they have family therapists and we would meet with them and they would educate us. And then my mom would take us to Alateen meetings. She would go to Al-Anon. And I always was very, um, I was, I always loved the family therapists. They were so caring and they were so um, educational and supportive. Mm -hmm. And I, I always was like, I want to do that when I grow up. Like I mm -hmm. want to help kids and families deal with this because back then, even just being an alcoholic or a drug addict, I think people thought, you know, oh, like some, you know, passed out drunk in the alley, you know, in the gutter. Yeah. Which wasn't the case. My dad was a highly successful person. And when he was sober, he was amazing. Yeah. So, so that's really what started my interest in becoming a therapist. And I wanted to specialize in addiction. I always knew that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize back then he also was a sex addict. And the, the, 
it's not funny, but to wrap up his addiction in, in a nice little package, um, he overdosed when I was 14 on cocaine and heroin in a Las Vegas hotel room with two prostitutes. Wow. So that kind of all in one little. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of what influenced me to get started. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started out, I worked at uh, Promises in Malibu oh, yeah. um, and started getting my experience working with addictions. And then I also knew I wanted to be a sex therapist. Um, I've always been fascinated by sexuality mm -hmm. and all the many facets of it. Right. Um, and I, and when I got to college, I started meeting people. Like, I was very comfortable talking about things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I started finding that there's a lot of people who aren't yes. like, you know, I would meet, like have friends. I'm like, you never masturbated before. What the hell? It's so yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you lead with that, or is that just? <laughs> I am Jill's masturbate. No, yeah. <laughs> but so it was very fascinating. So at one point, I was um, I met Alex Katahakis, who worked at the Sexual Recovery Institute, um, and Rob Wise, who who owned and ran it. Sure. And I got to talking to her, and they offered me a job, and I thought that was my foray into sex therapy, getting yeah. my training for sex therapy. I had never really heard of sex addiction. And this was back in like 2003, I think, or four. Okay. Um, and I quickly learned that sex, sex addiction treatment is nothing like sex therapy. It's right. a very different mm. world. But back then it was really fascinating. And, it, and CSATs were still kind of, it was a young um, certification still. So I ended up getting certified uh, because I found it fascinating. And during that time I figured out, I was like, oh, you know what? There's a reason I'm here because my dad was a sex addict and I never knew that until now. Mm. So um, then at one point, and it's a super long story that would take way longer than this podcast, but um, <laughs> I ended up um, moving back to Arizona. It was actually a result of my love. I'm a recovering love addict. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And a recovering bulimic. Um, and I had been engaged to someone who also who pretty much was like my dad <laughs> yeah. was, uh, wow. strange how that happens yeah he was a sex addict i had a lot of shame about being a therapist working in a sex addiction treatment program while also being engaged to an active sex addict so yeah. he cheated on me we broke up i was mortified i moved mm -hmm. back to arizona where i'm from um and i worked at the meadows and that's when i got to work with pia melody and pia melody um mm -hmm is the one that introduced me to love addiction yeah. um, and also female sex addiction. Yes. Because I worked at SRI back then and Rob, Rob Weiss has totally changed his tune now. Like he, he'll, he, he, he thinks the way I think too. Um, but back then I had asked him, you know, we seem to only treat men, you yeah. know, is there, are, do women, are there sex addict females? And he said, yes, but they mostly end up in the adult entertainment industry and don't, uh, seek out treatment. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> and so I, I told that to Pia when, when I was working with her and if you know Pia Melody, she's hilarious. And she was like, that's a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. she taught me about what female sex addiction looks like. That's where I learned about love addiction. That's where I identified I was a love addict. Yeah. Um, and it became something that I became really passionate about working with female sex and love addiction because yeah. 
it can be life-threatening. It's and pe what people, a lot of people don't understand, like love addiction is misleading because who doesn't want to be in love, right? Right, right, right. But love addiction, if, if you have addictive cycles, and it's, a, it's basically an attachment injury. Right. And you have, it's a pattern of relating. But someone who's a love addict or a relationship disorder or attachment disorder, like I don't really care what you call it. Like call yeah. it everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you really are in that, if, if you have that type of relating, you can end up, that's the people who end up when, when they're heartbroken, they end up cutting, they end up right. relapsing, they end up um, having affairs, getting into sex addiction with an affair partner. Um, they want to commit suicide. They do all the stalking. And right. so it, it becomes very life, it can be actually life-threatening. Yeah. And so when I, when I um, went on the show with Dr. Drew, I did my little lecture about love addiction. I have dogs, by the way, and they might bark. <laughs> That's okay. That's totally good. We all have dogs, too. So. Yeah. Um, so I did the lecture for the patients on the show about love addiction because love addiction can be a precursor to sex addiction. Sure. Um, and, and Drew was like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a really good lecture, and I'm really good at it. Okay. Um, and so he ended up having me come back to several of his next shows and teaching other clients that same thing about okay. disciples and love addiction and, and how it leads to sex addiction and all that kind of stuff. So I might've been jumping all over the place just now, but that's kind of. <laughs> yeah, but you, but, but, but you approached the door and opened the door that I would love you to walk through a little bit. Um, now I have been active in some of the S groups. I have never gone to an SLAA group. So that's Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, just the way my own addictive pattern developed, uh, yeah, I'm not looking for emotional attachment with with anybody in an acting out situation. That so that just feels wrong to me. Uh, before and it's uh, <laughs> not because of any morality on my part. It's just simply a, an emotional thing. But I'm well aware that that is a a, a major dimension in you know this behavior pathology that develops in a lot of people and tortures them what can you tell us about the link about love addiction and the link potential link between love addiction and sex addiction okay so um i'll use the terms love addiction and love avoidance um, oh nice that is kind of the the coined terms okay um, but it really comes from uh, attachment issues family right. words and stuff um, so the love addict, if they go through their cycle, a love addict will start in a relationship in fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, they usually are feeling one down, less than, and need to be saved or rescued or taken care of. Yeah. They will ignore the red flags. They will go all into the relationship and give up everything else yeah. for the relationship. Eventually when they realize they're not dating Prince Charming or, you know, Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. um they have what i call feelings on steroids overwhelming yeah. intolerable feelings which leads to obsessing and medicating okay and one way to medicate is sex right so mm -hmm. they can end up getting like trying using sex to get a high or to numb right which essentially is part of what sex addiction is sure on the other on the a love avoidant side a love avoidant is a person who needs to be needed in a relationship but doesn't actually know what healthy intimacy is so they put up 
whatever front that they need to 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 get someone hooked in mm-hmm. because they need to be needed that's how they esteem themselves that's how they right. feel good about themselves and but then if it becomes intimate and the person wants to be close that feels suffocating to them so they'll stay in the relationship out of duty or guilt because mm-hmm. they need the relationship for their esteem but they will create some kind of intensity outside of the relationship and that's where also a sex addiction can happen where they'll use sex to to take them out of their situation the relationship yeah yeah yeah, yeah. create intensity or get a high and so i worked at gentle path as well and i also was the uh, i developed willow house which is the residential program for women up at uh, the meadows for sex oh did you really did you really okay yeah that was my little baby we had to move to washington right before we launched which was a bummer but it's, i was mm-hmm. I, I created that program but when i worked at gentle path um you know i have there's a lot of sex addicts there who want to say they're they're i'm not a sex addict i'm a love addict yeah and then i'll go through the cycle with them and i'll show them like no you are a sex addict who is love addicted to your affair partner or your mm-hmm. prostitute or whatever because yeah. that person has saved and rescued you from your suffocating relationship or what felt suffocating to yeah them. so yeah. so it, it, it on either side of it people can have the potential to go and use sex as a way to medicate or numb or get a high or whatever. Right, right. But it's not ever healthy, you know, and usually shame and guilt that comes right after the acting out. Mm -hmm. And it all comes back. It's kind of birthed, as it sounds to me, you're saying it's birthed out of uh, an an attachment disorder uh, and uh, insecure avoidant or an insecure, what was he? There's fearful, anxious attachment, attachment, insecure attachment, you know, there's, and people can, when I, when I teach people about it, I usually preface by saying, you know, we're not blaming parents. This is not about like making the parents responsible for everything that we've done. However, it is important to look at whatever dynamics were going on in your family of origin, because you cannot come out of your family of origin without being affected in some way, shape or form. It is literally impossible. So you just have to look at the dynamics and it's, it's not blaming. A lot of people get very protective of usually a certain parent. Sure. Perfect. They were great. They were, they didn't do anything wrong. They did the best they could, but also there probably were some things they didn't know. Right. But they did anyway, you know, enmeshment is a doozy. Right, right, right. Right. It, it, it does, it can do a number on a person yeah. um, and it can create a lot of enmeshment essentially is when an, a grown up is using a child for their own needs. Right. So right. If you have a parent who's talking to their kid about their personal problems or their marriage problems or financial mm-hmm. issues. Right. You're really asking a kid to deal with grown up things. Right. And that's yeah. not appropriate. It's just right. not kids right. should just be kids and figure out you know, how to climb a tree and, you know, mm-hmm. if they're going to kiss a boy in some mm-hmm. right? you know, right. so yeah. Right. yeah. So, yeah. There, and there's a lot of, so enmeshment, abandonment is usually the more obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, but also abandonment can look like somebody, who, a, a parent who's, who's physically there, but mentally checked out. Could be a parent who's, uh, has an eating disorder. If, if, right. parent, if anyone, if you've ever known anyone with an eating disorder, you can't be present. You cannot connect with somebody mm-hmm. because you're in your head all the time, completely obsessing about food and your body. Right, right, so right. 
that that can be emotional neglect. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't make the parent a bad parent. It just right. makes they have, they're human. But the goal is to educate people about what happens so that they can understand what needs to change. Right. Yeah. yeah. What happens? Yeah. What are your patterns? What are your cycles? And and I think the more you can understand that, the better chances you have of recovery. Mm-hmm. Jill, do you um, do you find that women coming to you are more surprised to find out that their issue is rooted in sex addiction than maybe men are. And I don't mean that in any kind of a, like a sexist way. I just mean that our culture seems to um, focus on males as the sex addicts stereotype and women um, that I have talked to that have dealt with it have had a longer path to finding that, that to be true about themselves. Um, because they don't think they fit that stereotype. Right. Yeah. So, well, and, and sex addiction for women looks different. Uh-huh. Women don't typically go to prostitutes and escorts and right. you know, public bathrooms. Right. Um, a female sex addict. And I actually, I wrote a book with a, several colleagues of mine, um, on treating female sex and love addiction. Um, so yes, a lot of sex addicts do end up in the porn industry, female sex addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the same components are there, you know, using sex to medicate, to numb, um, to get a high, uh, equating sex with love. Yeah. Um, but my females, women won't usually go to treatment for sex addiction. Mm-hmm. They'll usually go end up in treatment because of, like they have a broken picker, you know, mm-hmm. or they yeah. are a relationship addict, or they um, are chronically single and can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. But then when we start digging, like I've had women come in because they just want to figure out how to have a relationship. But then I find out they're on, you know, eight different dating sites and they go, I had one uh, gal who she would go on at least one, sometimes two dates a day. And yeah. Have with them every, every all of them like wow first yeah. date yeah. and when I asked her to stop going on the dating sites just for one week on day three she was suicidal wow because she couldn't handle not having somebody want to talk to her or someone to be with yeah so, um so women it's a lot of like one night stands um chronic masturbation is a big one mm-hmm porn women can be addicted to porn and i want to clarify looking at porn doesn't make you a sex addict right right (laughs) porn can be healthy um it can be fine it's when it's sucking the life out of you or you would rather look at porn than actually be with your partner and porn addiction is becoming a very prevalent problem yes younger people yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because kids are starting to, I don't know what the statistics are right now, but kids as young as eight years old are already seeing porn. Yeah, right. Um, either from their friends showing them on their phone or when they're on the computer searching for something or Googling. Um, it's, it's becoming very problematic. And I am now having more and more people, men and women, who are having a very difficult time in actual real life relationships because of their porn addiction. And because it's it's porn, it's so intense. It's a high intensity right, right uh, activity and, and behavior. 
So it's hard for them to connect in the real world because porn, real live sex is not porn. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. not ever, ever like porn. It is, you know, smelly and messy and yeah. it's, you know, it's not porn. So it's, yeah. it's we're having a lot of, a lot of guys, young guys having erectile, dis- porn induced erectile dysfunction. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and starting in their 20s, which is highly yeah. unusual to have yeah. a erectile dysfunction in your job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm certainly, certainly seeing that pattern. I've noticed that the guys that come to me for help are skewing younger and younger all the time. I think the other pernicious uh, property of pornography, contemporary, uh, what we have now on the streaming sites is that you can flip from scene to scene to scene, there's absolutely an endless variety that can come in rapid succession. I've heard that 100,000 porn videos are uploaded every day, which uh, uh, is conditioning the user to novelty. So uh, it, also, the problem is it, with young people is that it's starting to become their sex education. Yeah. So yeah. they're starting to, boys are starting to learn that that's how they're supposed to treat women and that's what women want. Yes. And mm-hmm. girls are learning that that's what they're supposed to want. Yeah. And they're supposed to do, yeah. um, which is obviously hugely misinformed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I suspect it's going to just continue to get worse. Yeah. Um, and really uh, educating parents. <clears throat> is, the, is the most we can do is educating parents on how to protect our kids as much as we possibly can. And even if you've locked down everything at your house, you you don't know when they go yeah. for you know, a play date at somebody else's house that that house is safe and locked down as far yeah. as access. So, and I'm mom. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 How, no, uh, how many, uh, you have, how many children have you got? I have a five-year-old daughter uh, and a 13-year-old stepdaughter. Okay. All right. Um, I would imagine that one advantage that your daughters have is that they have a mom who can talk about sex and is not going to be squeamish or avoid the subject. Yeah. Right. Uh, And is not going to cover them up with shame or react hysterically when, uh, if they, with a disclosure that they've seen something or done something. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and 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 you are being vigilant, even though you have daughters. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Marnie Foray. She's one of our friends. She's one of the authors on the book we wrote. I wrote oh, she. Oh, yeah. She's actually our, one of the authors and an editor, so I yeah. know her very well. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's awesome, and uh, I was just with her at a leadership summit. And she just kept interjecting about every 30 minutes and remember the female sex addicts and remember the female sex addict because she is so uh, in touch and in tune with, I, I, I do know this. I feel, I feel such compassion for the female sex addict because of um, a self-imposed or possibly a culture imposed extra layer of shame because they just think this is a guy thing that they shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, it's still the double standard. It's uh-huh. like men are like this, you know, playboy studs and women are sluts. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. That's still very, very, very present. The good news is more and more female sex addicts or sex and love addicts yeah. are coming out of the woodworks and writing books and going public. So yeah. um, one of the gals from my show, the Dr. Drew show, mm-hmm. went and wrote an aut- her autobiography 
Um, and she was actually the big, biggest success story out of the show. She, she was a porn star. Uh-huh. She came so just for 15 minutes of fame, she was like going to make a mockery of the whole thing. And, she'll, and she wrote, writes it in her book. Right. Um, and she got the most out of the treatment. Um, she, I kept working with her after the show. I saw yeah. her pro bono because she left the porn industry. Mm-hmm. She turned in her Mercedes. She gave up the fancy house. She moved into a tiny little one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood got a hostessing job at a restaurant, went back to community college. Wow. And fast forward, and I'm, I get chills every single time I tell this story. Um, she has a master's in social work. She's a licensed um, social worker. She lives in Washington with her husband and her daughter, who is now, I think, one years old. Wow. wow that's awesome. Uh, what, a, what a story. But she worked her ass off. To change her life because yeah leaving the porn industry especially if you're a big porn star yeah it's, it's not easy yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, women get stuck there um because they don't really feel like they have any other options yeah um, but well, then Stacey sprout who's a therapist and a friend of mine also wrote a book about her story um she's a recovering sex addict and there's another gal i can't recall her name at the moment but um she wrote a she was uh, addicted to porn and masturbation. She wrote a book and has gone public with it. Yeah. And then I have another client who is a sex addict. Um, she wrote a book, but she used a, a, a pseudonym name. Yeah. Um, but she wrote a book about her story and cause she went through, I went, did a full disclosure with her and her husband. Yeah. Um, cause we do that even with women, we do a full disclosure. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a formal disclosure, and it's a very, very structured, contained process. Yeah. Um, and it was really difficult for her, but she wrote her story too. So my point is, there more and more women are starting to actually come out and say, like, you know, screw this, I'm going to tell yeah. my story because people <laughs> need to hear it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stigmatize this and and not feel shame about it. Um, so I yeah. think. That's that's the good news. It's, it's, we have a long way to go, mm-hmm. but it's starting to happen. Jill, how would you um, advise a parent who picks up their kid's phone and sees that they're either receiving or sending, uh, you know, uh, nude pics of themselves or, you know, um, things like that, which seems to be pretty prevalent in, you know, 15, 16 year olds who are in a relationship or younger, probably. Um, how, um, how do you advise parents to react so that it's not a complete, you know, uh, what we call down here in the South, a big come apart, um, you know, uh, and teaches the kid that, you know, what you're feeling is shameful and, uh, you know, all this stuff, but, but yet to, to address, the potential dangers of what they're, what they're setting themselves up for. How do you, how do you talk about that as a parent? Um, well, number one, stay calm, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and try to approach it from, I I would, I would first just be curious, like, you know, what's going on, you know, how did this start, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and let them know that they're not in trouble. You know, it's safe to talk about it Mm -hmm. and do some education around, you know, what the reality is of sending nude pics and doing these kinds of things because the internet is far and wide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that could be permanent. I mean, you could be 
you know, a professional when you're a grown up and someone could find these pictures on the internet and it could be very, very humiliating. Um, there's a really good website. It's called no, no porn for kids.org and it's no N O P O R N the number four. Right. And then kids.org. And it's, um, uh, Gail Dines, I think is her name. And she actually has like scripts that parents can have and to help them with these conversations. Awesome. Wow. Man, yeah. that's okay. great. It's okay. really cool. You probably just uh, broke the internet right there. People <laughs> 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 running <laughs> to their, <laughs> in mass to that website. <laughs> well, she, I mean, and she's really passionate about this piece of it, about educating people yeah. how to have these conversations because it's not talking about birds and bees anymore. Right. And, it's and, not and, about penises and vaginas. It's, you know, Anal sex is not something that you should have to have or want. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and uh, as as people my age growing up, you know, we had to have, we had to either stumble onto magazines or the occasional thrown away Polaroid or you know some uncle that would buy you something, and and now you know kids can send homemade porn to each other, and um, and yet parents who grew up in my era look at it and go, I don't even begin to know how to um, not feel hysterical about something I see. So that kind of a, a scripted, um, you know, model where you can uh, read that and insert yourself a little bit. That, that sounds like a pretty great thing. Yeah. It, she, I, I learned of her and all and her website and what she's doing at uh, the CSAC conference. Mm -hmm. um two years ago i believe it was and i was just i was like wow you go girl i'm like we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. we're gonna start hearing about more and more i mean we've known about adult children of alcoholics since you know the 70s and claudia black has done a whole bunch of work around that and right uh, can't remember the other gal's name but um children of sex addicts is going to be the next thing because being a child of a sex addict will definitely have, you know, effects on the kid when they grow up. Yeah, you know, right. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, well, I can give a million examples and talk about it forever, but it's going to be the next thing that we're going to start hearing about and talking about is like treating adult children of sex addicts. Do you, how do you think that's going to look different um, from ACAs? Um, so again, sex addiction is highly misunderstood. People assume it's just, you know, I think people still think perverts and, you know, child molesters and rapists. Mm -hmm. um, but really what sex addiction is, is using sex, you know, to get that high or, or to medicate. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a super simplified explanation of it. Sure. But a lot in a lot, of, and I'm going to just make some generalizations because every mm -hmm. situation is different. But in a lot of situations, there is leaky sexual energy in the household. Um, it can be inappropriate, you know, talking about sex or sexual jokes, mm -hmm. um, knowing that your mom is like the hot mom and gets all mm -hmm. the attention from her oozy sexual, like sexual yeah. energy, um, or just knowing that your dad cheated on mom a bunch of times or mom cheated on dad, mm -hmm. um, no, finding your dad's porn. I have a client who found um found i have an alarm about this podcast <laughs> uh, 
I have a client who found out about her dad's affairs by um, looking on his phone for something and found all the, like sexting, all the sex. Oh yeah. In. Right. And that has a profound effect on yeah. a child just knowing that that's happening and it becomes very confusing. They become very confused about sex, sexuality, intimacy, you know, sexual energy. And it either, you know, some of my clients who had sex addict parents and knew about it or, or didn't grow up feeling really gross about sex because it was so slimy and shamey growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and shamey is a word, by the way. <laughs> okay. I like it. Word. Yeah. Um, or they think that's that is what you're supposed to do so they become just overly sexual and they think that's what people want because mm-hmm. that's what they knew growing up so they don't really learn to have like sexual boundaries and how to contain their sexual energy appropriately mm-hmm. um and it just becomes very confusing mm-hmm. and a lot and they it's they they end up having more kind of a relational or intimacy issues growing when they're older. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, I am very intrigued and, and and, uh, about your prediction that adult children of sex addicts is going to be the next deal. I hope there are going to be resources. I will tell you this. Our listeners may remember I took my daughter who is now 39 years old on a 10 way, 10 day walk through Ireland last year for the express purpose of us having the conversations that she didn't have, we didn't have when she was growing up and I was an active sex addict. Um, I had kind of this idealistic romantic expectation that somehow we were going to be able to have these breakthrough conversations, just the two of us. It was helpful, but we kind of blundered on and we hit some walls and I'm not sure what all we accomplished. Um, But I really would love, and my, my daughter has turned out to be a wise and well-adjusted person, but she certainly has uh, dealt with uh, challenges, relational challenges in her life that I imagine she would not have had were it not for my issues. Uh, the thought that there are actually people who are looking at this as uh, you know, a cluster of behaviors, they're looking for commonalities, they're seeing patterns and, you know, proposing helpful solutions. That gives me an awful lot of hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. Oh, now, let me ask you this. You, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, we're, no, we're not going to end. We're not going to end. Um, but I, I, I do want to ask for the listeners, first of all, uh, you referenced a couple of books, a couple of autobiographies by uh, recovered female sex addicts. Uh, Can you give us any names or titles that they can Google to maybe find those resources? Yeah, so I don't need to show you because they're not going to release, but I'll show you guys because you can see it. So this one is called I Am Jenny. J E N N I E, okay. By uh, Jenny Ketchum. Is her okay. Name. Uh, she was the one who was one of my patients on the show. Okay. Uh, and it's really weird to read an autobiography of one of your clients. And then in the book, she's talking about like, in therapy with Jill today, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I said that. Wow, I'm smart. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of them is called Enough Love. And her pen name is... Um, Oh crap, I'm gonna draw a blank. 
I'll think of it. Okay. Um, Stacy Sprout wrote a book called Naked in Public. Okay. Um, mm. Her story. Mm-hmm. Um, the book I wrote with some other therapists on training, comprehensive training for female sex and love addiction is called Making Advances. Okay. Um, mm. Oh, Paula Fortune. Enough okay. Love by Paula Fortune. Okay. Um, so those are the ones that I was referencing. Now, do I understand that you're, you're, you are a licensed therapist, licensed in multiple states. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you also do coaching outside those boundaries? Can people yeah. connect with you online to get yeah. some long distance help? Yeah. Loverehab.net is my website. Okay. Um, and I started doing coaching really because after the show, so many people were reaching out to me from all over the world mm-hmm. um, because they just related so much and they felt, oh my gosh, there's actually some hope. Yeah. So, you know, because you can't do therapy in a state that you're not licensed in, but right. you can do coaching. So I started kind of educating myself on the difference. There are differences mm-hmm. um, and there are limitations. So I can't do coaching with somebody who's like suicidal or in active addiction and could overdose or someone who needs EMDR. Right. Um, I can't do EMDR via video. I'm, I'm sure eventually someone's going to figure out a way to do that, but yeah. right now it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I can help people in guiding them through how to combat love addiction or sex addiction or relationship issues. Um, I get a lot of people who they just want to figure out how to have a healthy relationship and they, they don't have the tools. They don't mm-hmm. have yeah so, yeah so do you also work with the partners of sex addicts oh yeah yeah so, I, I, so we call it betrayal trauma or partner betrayal mm-hmm. which is great because way back in the early 2000s when i first started in this specialty right um partners were just crazy borderlines you know yeah so, yeah yeah right yeah. exactly yeah it was really and and i even back then i was like but i don't think that I think they're really highly traumatized it's very traumatizing to mm-hmm. have yeah. especially some of the ways people have discovery yeah um, so now we use the terms betrayal trauma or partner betrayal it's treated at from a trauma perspective yes uh, and when you're working with a partner um, and they they want a formal disclosure it's preparing them for that yeah um, giving them a big thing with partners who've been with a sex addict is they've been gaslighted for a long time, usually. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have, they've stopped trusting their gut. They don't trust their instincts anymore. They question their sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so a big thing I do in addition to the trauma piece is really helping them start to trust themselves again mm-hmm. and, and listen to their gut instincts. Um, Cause that's one of the biggest injuries i think that happens um aside from broken hearts and all of that right right. and um you know when i'm working with a partner i always tell them the the one thing the one of the main goals in addition to the formal disclosure if you're going to go through that yeah is really hoping that the partner the addict can get to a place where they really have empathy and understand how severe of a trauma this is yeah. I've had addicts who I'm working with and I had one, he's, he was like, I don't understand why this isn't PTSD. It's not like she was in Iraq in an SUV that got blown up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, in a way, it wasn't that, but it, but that it feels like that to her. It really is that, yes, that mm-hmm. painful and that severe. And that mm-hmm. is 
that is a lot of the work that I do. But with the partners, it's treasuring things, doing the trauma work, learning to have boundaries, holding the boundaries, um, you know, getting them empowered again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you see some of those relationships uh, surviving? Yeah. Well, yeah. so so when I'm working with a male addict and a female partner, yeah. More often than not, they stay together as long as the addict is doing his work. Yep. Or even if they're not. Women tend to stay more. Uh -huh. When it's a female addict and a male partner, they tend to not work out. Wow. Um, and I have theories about it. Um I think it one of my hypotheses about this is mm -hmm. that you have to think about the di the difference in the way men and women experience sex. Yeah. So men are capable of just having sex with no emotional they can just have sex and move on. They can compartmentalize the shit out of it and mm -hmm. move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think women partners know because usually in a disclosure women a lot of times want to know everything but the most important thing they want to know is like, did you French kiss? Did you guys have a song? Did you have romantic dinners? Right. They want to know, was there an emotional connection? Because that's more painful. A lot of times right. I think women can get over, not get over, but understand the sexual piece. It's if there was an emotional connection. That feels more of a betrayal. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Men, partner, male partners, who have a female addict as mm -hmm. partner. I think men, number one, you, you guys are visual. So you're right. imagining it more about what she did. And I think men, it's more of the emotional betrayal because women more often than not have a more of an emotional right. connection. So it, it's more of an e it's, it's um, ego dystonic for the men. Right. And I right, know right. men can't usually handle it or get through the healing process the way women can. That's right. just a hypothesis though. Um, yeah. But that is what I see is more often than not women partners Day, more often than not male partners leave. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah. 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 Well, Jill, this has been so helpful and informative and our uh, female listeners are going to really appreciate the fact that we've addressed something that many of them um, will say that they may have um, questions about or suspicions about uh, for themselves, but they don't know how to articulate it. Um, simply because of the stigma and stereotypes that we've talked about. So thank you for um, hopefully cracking a door uh, for some of our listeners that might otherwise not um, know how to approach this. You're welcome. I, it's my most favorite population to work with. Um, I, I love working with female sex and or love addicts or just love addicts in general. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I do love working with uh, betrayal trauma. Um, because it, there can be so much healing and there's so much healing that's needed. Yeah. So right. I, I can talk, I can talk about it all day long. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have you back and we'll do it again. Okay. So. Yeah, I would love to. All right. Great. Well, blessings on you and on your work and on your family. Thanks again for, for uh, taking the time to talk with us here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Awesome.